Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human and non-corporeal listeners. You love shouting out our non-corporeal peeps. Well, someone's got to. I mean, it's a tough gig. You can't interact with the physical world. Many people. Someone has to. They know what's going on. I think they like being non-corporeal and, I mean, corporeal and, and non-corporeal and, and invisible like that. Well, I'm confused. So let's just continue. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You can find our work all over the internet. Ben, why don't you tell people where where they can find your work, both corporeal and non-corporeal people. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. Oh, and uh, some stuff has gone up at Haggerty over the last few months, so you can check that out too. Cool, cool. You can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, Nouveau Magazine, and some of my stuff has gone up at CAA Magazine, which is pretty cool. Ben, we've got a car to talk about and some very, very important news, so let's get right into it. What have you been driving recently? So I managed to get behind the wheel of the 2022 BMW M240 X-Drive, which I believe you drove last year, Sammy, and I'm not sure how long you drove it. I drove it for a, a brief moment, and I put it on the track at a BMW event in California. So it was a very curated experience, nothing like driving at home in the winter, right? Yeah, so I put a few hundred miles on it in, in some very wintry conditions. And I went on a bit of a road trip, went on a bit of a, 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 not, a, like a not a highway road trip, but a country road trip to see the, the thing about this car, Sammy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about this, it sounded, it sounded like you were going somewhere. And then <laughs> I was. I just dramatically changed directions in this in a way that's similar to what's happened with the two series. Because if we want to go back in time to what the two series used to be, it used to be the one series, and right around what 2010, 2009? I don't remember when it came out, but the the one series was BMW's. A lot of people compared it to the E30, the original, not the original three series, but well, I guess it kind of is the original three series. And uh, in the sense that it was, you know, small, lightweight, rear-wheel drive with decent power and fun. And it wasn't exactly a great comparison because, you know, modern cars are still much bigger, et cetera, et cetera. And the 1 Series was a lot more powerful when you got the turbo model. But it was kind of different from the 3 Series and the 4 Series. And then uh, a few years later, the 1 Series kind of went into a totally different direction in Europe. And to kind of make up for that, we got the 2 Series in North America, which was the evolution of the 1 Series. It was a little bit larger, more power, but essentially the same package. Now, for 2022, and actually a little bit beforehand, the 2 Series has kind of done what the 1 Series did before, which was go in a totally different direction. And that is because we got the four-door Grand Coupe model in 2020, I believe, when that came out. And that was a front-wheel drive package that in North America was sold in all-wheel drive only. It was four doors, as I mentioned, and had nothing to do with the 2 Series in any way. It was just a name. Uh, The previous generation 2 Series was continuing to be sold alongside that. So for this year, 2022, we have a complete redesign of the 2 Series. And it has moved itself away from its roots once again, not quite as crazily as the Grand Coupe did. But certainly in terms of packaging, in terms of size and weight, and in terms of power. All of that to say that, once again, BMW made a mess out of their situation, I think, right? Well, I think that the best way to describe BMW's branding at the entry level is fluid. <laughs> okay. What is that? Okay, yeah. So, 
I, I mean, I, like other enthusiasts, found the one series endearing. I found the Last Generation 2 series to be very, to be very good, actually. Uh, and a car that I could feasibly see myself driving every day. Um, and then when I got into the, into the, what is this new one called? The Grand Coupe and this new one? My thoughts changed quite a bit. This is not the same thing. In fact, this feels more like a like a two-door three series, of which exists already, called the four series, yeah, than I, anything else. I would have to agree with you. I would say that the, 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 the two series is now just a somewhat smaller four series. That's yeah. really how it feels. So... I think all right, that, let's wrap up the podcast. That's all there needs to be done. But okay, th- tell th- me more. You've driven, same... it way, you've driven it way more than I have. So tell me what that means, the good the good and the bad of that. Well, if I'm not mistaken, they share the same platform, right? Okay. I don't know. I'm asking you. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know. I, I think so. I think 3 Series, 4 Series, and 2 Series have all been kind of normalized under the same platform. So mm-hmm. the, the, the important parts of what have changed in the 2 Series are as follows. It is a lot heavier than it used to be. So it's... Uh, the old the, the, the current two there, there's two models there's a 230 <laughs> I, love, I love listening to you. your brain is melting while you're trying to describe the, the old the new this, this the, is... so there's two models is the the, the the 230i and the m240i yeah. so right now the 230i is four cylinder it's a rear wheel drive the m240i can only come in x drive they're going to make a rear wheel drive version later this year but it's not available right now the reason i mention that is because the all-wheel drive system is somewhat heavy but even if you compare the all-wheel drive model to the previous year's all-wheel drive model, it's 200 pounds more. And then if you compare it to the rear-wheel drive model, it's 300 pounds more. That is not an insubstantial amount of weight to add to the car. If you add it all up, including the fact that for for 2022, there's no more manual transmission for the 2 Series. It is 8-speed automatic only, which, again, adds weight to the vehicle. It is 3,877 pounds? I'm going to say that again. The 2 Series, which is the smallest coupe BMW makes, is 3,877 pounds. And even if you fudge those numbers a little bit, it's still 3,800 pounds. That's heavier than my Cadillac CTS-V, which is a much larger car. That's heavier than, I think, every muscle car on the market except for the Challenger. (laughs) Yeah. Which is not a great place to be. Yeah, so if you look at like a Camaro SS 1LE, it is within like 100 pounds of the BMW. And I think the Mustang is actually 100 pounds less yeah. than with the, with the performance pack. So and both those cars are big, torquey V8s. So the idea of the BMW 2 Series kind of carrying on the spirit of the E33 Series, a fun, lightweight sports car, that is completely obliterated. That is gone with this redesign. I mean, even with the previous car, it was kind of no longer there, but you can absolutely forget about it. It is no longer the the reason that this vehicle is being built, in my opinion. If, if I remember correctly, there used to be, a, the, the old model used to be around 3300 or something like that, at least maybe the 230 model. And I think that was an okay size for the performance and the, respons- and the responsiveness of the vehicle. And the overall size of it, I think, was okay. This vehicle just feels bigger. It definitely is heavier. They've given it a ton of power, which helps mitigate some of that in that power, um, that, that weight gain. Yes, but it's, it, what the wild thing, Sammy, is that as heavy as the car is, it is not only way faster than the, the older two 240i it's yep. also way faster than the older m2 
That's wild. That's by, insane, right? By like a huge number. So and I say huge, I mean huge in the world of performance. So the older M2, which is which is lighter and had more power, I think it has like 400. 400 yeah. yeah. And um, the M2 competition is slower to 60 compared to the new M240 by like 0.4 or 0.5 seconds. Okay, wow. That's crazy. And I think that the new 2 well, series... Well, the old M2 was, was rear-wheel drive only, right? Yes. Well, maybe that... that... That stands to reason a little bit. Right but there. it's like a 300-pound difference plus 40 more horsepower? I don't know. Because the current car has 382 horsepower, asterisk, and 369 pound-feet of torque, I think. That's like 47 horsepower more than it had the year before. I don't believe any of those numbers. It's absolutely impossible. I think this is well over 400 horsepower motor. And I think that um, the only reason it's being advertised as lower is because they want to protect the M2, which I get. And we've talked about this on the show in the past. Numbers from BMW when it comes to power, especially for the six-cylinder and the V8 engines, are really just suggestions. They're always more powerful than advertised. So this is an extremely muscular car. It's larger and heavier and beefier. It has a longer wheelbase than the older 2 Series, but it actually has a smaller rear seat, which is super strange. There's, like, less room in most measures if you're in the back of the car now. I suggest you don't get in the back of the car. (laughs) It is kind of for kids only. Um, Yeah, it's it's almost, like, inaccessible. It's, like, very difficult to get in back there. Yeah, and... All of this is kind of leading me back to the idea that this is a shrunk-down 4 Series. It's not really a sports car anymore. It's a shrunk-down Grand Touring car. and Which all- is the opposite of a Grand... Like, a Grand Tour should be comfortable, should be spacious, should be, you know, like, somewhat it's- practical in some cases. But it is right? comfortable and spacious if you're in the front. I found it quite comfortable in that sense. And if you look at other Grand Touring cars, like the, the, the Jaguar F-Type, for example, that's a Grand Touring car. And it's only a two-seater, right? I think that has some sporting credentials to it. No, for it's sure. It's not a track car, I guess. But. but, I mean, I'm not saying that the BMW 240 doesn't have sporting credentials. I just don't think it's a lightweight sports car analog anymore. I think it's just something, it's it's a, a mini GT. And as a mini GT, it's really, really fast. I mean, it's 0 to 60 is like 3.6 seconds. It does the quarter mile in 12.1 seconds at like 114 miles an hour, which is really, really fast. Um, that is keeping up with a Mustang GT performance pack, a Camaro SS1 LE. The only muscle car on the market that currently beats it, like in the, all these cars cost about the same amount of money. They're all about $50,000. Wow. You can get the Dodge Challenger Scat Pack 1320. That's yep. 485 horsepower and it has all, it has drag radials on it and that'll do 11.7. Um, and so that's, you know, if you need drag radials to beat the BMW, that kind of tells you how quick the BMW really is. Right. But to me, my, my biggest impression um, of, the, of this new 2 Series happened when I was on the track. And as much power as this vehicle has, it fell apart a little bit um, on the track where it didn't have enough grip and the brakes were easily overmatched by the weight and speed that this car was capable of. So definitely... This is not the same vehicle, which to me says a lot. Like it, it, it just doesn't feel as confident or as compelling or as engaging as that old vehicle was, which was much more balanced in my opinion. Um, and this one just feels like more power over everything else. For sure. I agree with you that this is a car that is now in a different category. And, and is that what BMW is really leading towards, just emphasizing power over everything? I think so. I think this is, this is uh, as 
close of a prediction or premonition of the future of BMW as anything they've released recently. And it makes a lot of sense. This is what people want. I mean, very few people buy sports cars. There's mm-hmm. a reason BMW doesn't have a dedicated sports car in its lineup. I guess you could kind of make the claim that the Z is is that car, but we know no it's, way. we know it's not. Um so that that's again is more of a grand touring car. So if BMW has kind of moved into this world where all of its cars are grand touring cars and then the M cars are just much more powerful uh, versions of those grand touring cars with a lot more grip, then we kind of know what BMWs are now. Like it's not yeah. it's not a surprise anymore. Driving this car on a two lane road, it does a great job. It is it. I found enough grip on the street. I mean, obviously it was snowy there were, where I was driving. It was kind of open area with twisty roads, and so there were a lot of snow drifts. So the car was constantly going back and forth between dry pavement and maybe like a half inch of snow completely over the road. And it was totally predictable. I I had no real issues with it. Um, You know, Sport Plus, Sport, Comfort, whatever. All of those modes were just as good at keeping the car sticking in those conditions because grip was, um, what's the word, brief. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But... You can tell, though, even in comfort mode, the car is a little bit stiff. I think that's a, f- a function of the weight and the fact that I had a the BMW adaptive um, suspension with the car so I could change the suspension tuning with the, each driving mode. But it still feels a little bit stiff even in comfort mode. You're going to notice it. Um, in Sport Plus mode, obviously, it's kind of the, the full extent of that. But uh, it's super fast all the time. It's just very, very quick. And if you kind of want a, a little comfortable rocket... That in terms of looks, I don't find it super attractive. I don't find it ugly. It just kind of it kind of is. It avoids the giant nostrils that we've seen on the three series and the four series, but it's much chunkier up front and it's just kind of beefier along the sides too. It's not it's not as svelte as the as the car used to be. Hmm. Um and if you look at even going back to the one series, I mean that was an unusual looking car when it came out. So this right. is, this has always been a segment where BMW pushes things a little bit in terms of styling. I, I mean for $50,000, it's hard to think of a direct competitor for this car. I've already talked about all the muscle cars you can get from Detroit. But what else are you going to get that's similar to this vehicle? Are you going to get like a, a Cayman? Yeah, no, this is not. It just doesn't feel the same way, right? No, it's 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 uh, an Infiniti Q60. I don't think so. I mean, it has a back seat, so already a usable back seat. So already it's like a larger car. It feels more like a 4 Series. It's it's really hard to think of who BMW is going up against with this car. And, and that's even more so if you go down to like the 230, which is not super quick, not nearly as expensive. And again, no direct analog on the luxury or the non-luxury market. Yeah, I don't know. It is a very um, curious car. I don't get it. But it, you know, it, it walks this line between like kind of good and like not what it used to be. And so should they have changed the name? Should it have? Should it be something else? You know what I mean. This is the most difficult thing. Every every other every every so often, an automaker gives a vehicle a, the same name that we're used to, but changes the the profile of the vehicle considerably. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like this, it, it yeah. seriously feels more like a, a three series than the two ever did, than the one ever did. So why are we calling it a two series? Because I think the the more important thing is to not look at the. Um, why aren't the three series and the four series more like the two and to look at it from the other direction and realize that the two has finally come home and it's finally BMW has a cohesive lineup without any outliers. Hmm. So there's, they don't have that small sports car anymore. And maybe the M2 will be that, 
But it's really hard to think of a world where we get a lighter rear-wheel drive M2 with more power that is somehow going to be quicker than this car with its all-wheel drive system and really huge turbo torque. You know what I mean? Like nothing needs to be quicker. It is fast. How fast is it again? It's like... How fast is 0 to 60 in this? 3.6. This is nonsense. No car needs this on the regular... But if like, you're if you're going to sell an M2 for more money than an M240i, it has to be faster. So they've already messed it up, is what you're saying. No, but what, it, what I'm saying is we've entered the, the, the same uh, world where the M550 exists. Yeah. Where it's a vehicle that does everything the M5 does up to like 90%. And that remaining 10% is only useful on a track where you'll never go. I think a two series Who's is much buying more, that then? but a two series is much more likely to go to a track. So I could see where that extra ten percent would appeal to an M2 customer. But yeah. BMW's box itself into a into a corner now, yeah. where this has to be the M2 has to be much more powerful. It will probably have to be all wheel drive, and so again, it becomes a much different beast. It becomes the hyper muscle version of an already muscular car, which is what all the M cars are these days. Yeah, the M cars are are bonkers now. Like they're they feel over the top. Like, truly over the top. Yes. Over the top in the way that, like, a Hellcat or a Shelby feels over the top. For right? sure. For sure. And and that's fine. I mean, all of this to say, this is not a bad car. It The interior... Your expectations just have to change yeah, you, dramatically. I mean... No? Maybe the interior is a little less upscale compared to, like, a 3 or a 4 in some areas. But in general, it's a comfortable car that goes very fast. People, you get the badge recognition, and it it handles quite well. It's just not as engaging an experience as it used to be, and that's just kind of how it is at BMW now. So I can't really fault the car. It fits in with the other cars in the showroom. It does what it's supposed to do. It's not super expensive. For $50,000, it is so incredibly fast. I mean, mm-hmm. these are all really strong things. I think, as you said, it's just changing expectations. How weird, right? Um, anything else you want to say about the 2 Series? I fell getting out of this car in my driveway because oh, it was super man. icy. And I grabbed the glass and the glass is frameless. Oh, no. And I pulled like I, – I didn't pull, obviously. I was trying to hold up for dear life. And like the whole glass twisted with my body and I thought it was going to break. And it did not break. But when I closed the door and went out I, – I was going on the highway immediately after. There was like a wind whistling sound from that glass for like the first 25 30 minutes and uh then it seemed to go away so i don't know if i moved the glass in its panel and then it finally found its way back into the rubber that it needed to make the seal but yeah it was scary and i I, there are other cars where like the flame frameless glasses what was the one the the one that felt really the bmw one obviously didn't feel cheap because it, it held my 200 pounds of weight pretty well but the bronco i think has been the worst of the frameless glass that I've had recently where like, I was honestly worried it was going to break when I closed the doors. <laughs> well, thank you BMW for making life saving glass. Then. Yeah. You saved my, I could have broken my hip. I am getting up there in years. Oh man. I know you got to take care of yourself. How I am I going to do this podcast? I wish I deserved to take care of myself, Sammy. What do you mean by that? Okay. Um, I didn't drive any cars this week cause I had a lot of a mountain of work to catch up on and had to do some video shoots. Isn't driving cars your work? Yeah, but then I have to write about them. Okay. I can't just drive constantly, you know. Um, but there was some very interesting news that came out this week that I wanted to discuss with you. Um, first, I want to talk about our good friends at Kia. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're friends. With, I hope they're friends with me. I don't know. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't have called them good friends. 
this is pushing our relationship. You're really well, walking far. it back now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our friends at Kia, they have agreed to say – they have agreed that they're going to be um, building 14 different battery electric vehicles in their lineup by 2027, which is – let me look at the clock here. Five years from now, they're going to have 14 different EVs, and two of them will be pickup trucks. Two more electric pickup trucks. Ben, how many pickup trucks is too many? I because th- – we we now know that the Rivian is an electric pickup truck. There is a Hummer electric pickup truck. There's a Ford pickup truck. And now we're going to get um, some Kia. Some Don't forget Kia Silverado electric- EV in 2023. Oh, yeah. Silverado EV. Um, I mean, eventually they'll all be electric, Sammy, right? I mean, that's just how it's going to go. I Whenever a company says we're going to have X number of X by, by Y, I always think, no, you're not. Because it's really hard to plan that far ahead and so much of it is going to come down to financial situations um how well a certain car does in the market versus another like if if they release like two or three evs and of those evs one of them doesn't do well and they had like three cars that were going to be planned on that one that didn't do well you can bet we won't see them that's right right. and it's also car companies like to make money and mm-hmm. and the vehicles that make the most money are not electric vehicles. So they're going to have to have those vehicles in the mix too. That's going to impact their production capabilities. They don't have an infinite number of factories to build these cars. Every time they say, okay, we're adding an EV, sometimes that means they're pulling back production on a gas-powered car. And there are probably only so many areas they can do that before they start to feel the pinch. So, Well, I, yeah, I mean, we, we know already that I think the Stinger is getting the axe sometime soon, which is like a bit of a shame. Sure, but I mean, I what, think, else, I what else do you cut? Right, like Kia does not have a huge lineup, so and they I, already do have a lot of electrified vehicles, right? Like yeah. the the Soul, the Nero, this new EV6. I think there's more. So they're building the Santa Cruz already in Alabama, um, which means they might have line space to just use the EGMP platform at that plant and build an electric version of the Santa Cruz. That would probably make a lot of sense. But I, I'm sure we'll see some electric vehicles from them more and more so. But I, 14 yep. seems like a lot. I mean, 14 seems like a lot, but to me, it's just the, the, like, I don't know. It feels like pickup trucks reached a space market, market wise that people are like, okay, this, these are the ones we like. No more new ones. Like, but I mean, no, but then happened. the Maverick came out this year and everyone lost their mind for it. So, but that's only because the Ranger kind of was not, gr- not good. Remember I don't, that? Think, I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is, um, there was demand for an affordable small pickup. Yes, exactly. But I don't think that was Ranger related. I think that was just general market related. So why not have competitors to that affordable small pickup in the electric space? That's a good idea. We don't have any. Well, isn't the isn't the Lightning going to be somewhat affordable? Well, the Lightning is not. No, it's not going to be affordable at all. What do you say? <laughs> isn't there a Pro model that's somewhat affordable? I think it's like 50 or 60 grand. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Um, I found this news about Kia, but when I asked you about it, you said, do you mean this piece of news? And you shared with me something that made no sense to me, but you seemed very excited about it. Do you mind telling me? I'm not super excited about it, but I I, I will very briefly say Kia has come out, for for the 10 people in our audience who know what I'm I'm about, um, understand what I'm about to say, just because it's like a very weird music geek thing. Kia has come out with the VST. Uh, and they're releasing. What does that stand for? It's a virtual instrument that can be used with like a digital audio uh, platform, so uh, a digital uh, digital audio workspace or workstation, okay. and it, it's kind of like it's a synthesizer basically. Um, 
It has. So you're saying Kia came out with a virtual instrument? Yeah, it's a sampler and a VCO, and it's it's the sound of Kia, basically. Um, what do you mean by that? It has 100 presets. You can make your own sounds. It's kind of weird. They, they used this to make the sounds inside one of their cars. I can't remember which one. I want to say the... That's so sick, actually. <laughs> I want to say the EV6 um, is the vehicle that got the... Yeah, it's the Kia EV6. So all the like in-car sounds that you hear were generated with this VST. Um, if you're into digital audio, I mean, check it out. It's a free VST. Who knows? Maybe you'll be the first to create a really sick track using an automaker's... Um, an automaker's instrument, but uh, yeah, it's very it's a very niche bit of news. So let's let's Hold move on, on from some, that. There's some there's some samples or something on their website. What is all this? I don't know, but I don't think you can handle it. I can't. Uh, they have an album. That's what I'm clicking on. Okay. Um, I love that. That sounds great. I want uh, I want more and more things happening from from free. Into I, want more, I want more musical instrument companies to develop cars. I want <laughs> Yamaha is already on top of Yamaha's way ahead of the pack, but I want like Casio out there. I want uh, Fender to make a car that maybe works, <laughs> and I want Gibson to make a car that will cost a lot of money and will only be sold in a limited uh, edition until the next year when they make exactly the same car and sell it for the same amount of money. And double the <laughs> double dilute the market with the, and piss off all their investors. Tell me how you really feel. Um, I I'm glad that Kia did not release did not supply us with a press release that talked about their new honey um, making beehive. Okay, they have really. I do. Uh, no, no. I'm just surprised they haven't given us one because all the automakers love bees. But not not Kia, not Hyundai. Well, I mean, they're waiting for 2027 when they're going to release 14 electrified hives into the into the world. We should check on how the the uh, those Lamborghini bees are doing. Um, the other somebody, thing about somebody should check on them. The other thing about these um, EVs that Kia was talking about, it led me onto this wild goose chase. Um, I found out that Ram and Jeep have also announced their electric offerings. Ram provided a sketch of a. New Ram 1500 that will be electric. It, guys, guess what? It looks like a pickup truck. Yeah, it looks pretty. I mean, it looks kind of like a beefy. It looks exactly like every designer's sketch of a car you've ever seen, where they like they, they sketch it out quickly, and it looks like the coolest vehicle in the universe. It's all like beefy and muscular, and it has all these like lights and like mm. like um, the ang- highest the highest like um, angles line wheels like 36 inch wheels and then like it comes to the market and it's it's like a ford maverick <laughs> yes <laughs> um but then they did show us something that looked kind of adorable which is this new electric jeep which uh looks kind of like a compass and i kind of love it which is not something that i thought i would i would say yeah the the, the electric jeep looks cool i just want to go back to the the Uh-oh. ram for a minute because they also talked about four different battery electric mm-hmm. platforms. They're very creatively named small, medium, and large. Um, the and lar- frame. The ones I want to... Yeah, well, I was going to get to that, but thank oh, you for, for spoiling it. Uh, the large one is going to be used for all-wheel drive performance and American muscle, which is its own category now, which is interesting from a company that's no longer owned by Americans. But there's a, a fourth version of their battery platform called Frame, that Sammy spoiled for you, uh-huh. which is interesting because I don't think the Hummer or the F-150 Lightning are body-on-frame designs. I'm not sure. No, I, don't I don't think, think the Hummer is. I don't think the Hummer is, but maybe the uh, Lightning would be. It might be. I'm not sure. But, but that's a byproduct of that Altium 
um, battery, right? Exactly. Like that GM uses. So I, I'm curious as to whether the pickup trucks that I mean, does this mean it's going to be a full frame battery electric vehicle? Because that would be different from how we've seen a lot of these large EVs where they use like the skateboard design and everything is based on a very low centered battery pack. If you have a full frame, how do you do that? Yeah. It just seems yeah. kind of different. Anyway, we, seem- we don't have any answers here because like literally the only information we have from Stellantis EV Day is this image. <laughs> yeah. They just showed us a lot of images. That's what they did. And that's why I'm saying I looked at this Jeep. Um, EV, they did it in all yellow because that's what you need to have a vibrant color of a EV when you deba- when you debut it, or else no one's yeah. going to pay attention. It, it's definitely so that it is definitely developed for body on frame pickup trucks and SUVs. Um, yes, and they say it'll offer 500 miles of range, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but are you are you looking? For, well, we've seen Jeep and um, Stellantis investigate this um, plug in hybrid or electrification through. Um, the Pacifica plug-in and the Wrangler 4xe. I'm going to be driving the uh, Grand Cherokee 4xe near the end of the month. And I remember the Wrangler needing a little bit of uh, finessing. You know what I mean? Well, the Wrangler, I mean, the battery pack and the electric system was another 800 pounds. Yeah. Which is an insane amount of weight to add to a platform, especially a platform that's already as unwieldy as Jeep. Yes. Um, but I do remember the two the two powertrains worked great in isolation. But when it came to switching to handing off, that's when things got really weird. Like it just didn't. It wasn't very smooth. Yeah, I really get the feeling that like four by e is kind of an interim step towards a very different future. I agree with you. So that's a, that's an interesting thing to pay attention to as we as we watch Stellantis try to navigate the next um, few years with their electrification strategy because they've. It sounds like they've struggled, but at the, at the same time they've. They put out some pretty interesting products because of those plug-in hybrid vehicles. And what's also interesting is the way that they're talking about these electric vehicles is within entirely within the context of their existing lineup. Like, yeah, you know, they're going to keep building American muscle cars. They're going to keep building pickups. But then, if you look at small and medium, they say small is going to be for efficient city mobility, and medium is going to be for premium vehicles. Arguably, in North America, they don't make either of those models. No, just the five hundred, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I mean that's a dead vehicle walking, right? And but I mean it, it could get a little um, j- a little jolt there with an electrification but uh, platform. But Fiat is a single model manufacturer in North America, right? Mm-hmm. Do they still have the 500L? I don't think so. I think they have a 500X still, okay. and they have the Mazda the Mazda sports car. The, okay, the the one twenty four. So. Uh, I don't know how much longer that dealer network is going to exist because all those people who bought Fiat dealerships were promised a much larger lineup than they actually got. And they are very unhappy that they invested in these showrooms that have almost nothing to sell. But then the other part of it, as you mentioned, there's like a like a medium, a medium sized one for premium vehicles. Again, something that they do not sell here. Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're we seem like we're constantly being told that more alphas and more Maseratis are coming. And they don't come, right? No. There's a new one called the Toenail. The Toenail? Yeah, isn't there an Alfa Romeo SUV now called the Toenail? I have no idea. I mean, that sounds crazy, but it doesn't mean it won't happen. Tonali, sorry, that's what it's called. Um, So apparently they're making a smaller SUV. Maybe Um, that will be both efficient city mobility and premium vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, But I'm... You think a company of this size with this this many markets to serve... 
I mean, they have to have all these electric vehicles for their European um, clients as well as – I mean, they'll eventually have to make them fit in here too, right? No, I think that they could definitely sell them in Europe, but I don't necessarily see them coming here. I, I don't see Stellantis as a brand that expands in North America. To me, it's one that's going to contract. To just Jeep and Ram? I don't know. That's how I, that's how I feel. I mean, it's very possible, but in terms of investment and – just but they said American American muscle. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe they're going to rebrand. Maybe it'll be the Jeep Challenger. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, names don't mean anything anyways. So there's one more thing I kind of wanted to talk about this week before we uh, signed off. And that is um, this thing. I wrote an article about something called for Motor Trend called Hands on a Hard Body. And oh, yeah. uh, it's about this. There's, this, there's these contests in the United States uh, that they're called touch a truck or hands-on. And basically the idea was you would go to a dealership, they'd pick your name out of a hat, and then you would stand beside a truck and hold on to it for as long as it took to outlast the 25 other people who were there with you. And if you were the last person standing, you got to win the truck and you would go home with it. And... um I had heard about these contests growing up. Had you ever heard of anything like this, Sammy? No, I've never heard about this. This is uh, this was news to me until you started mentioning it to me so, um, off off the podcast. So, hands on a hard body is one of the most famous ones, and it was in the '90s. It started in the '90s in Texas at a dealership, a Nissan dealership, where they had a hard body pickup. And someone made a documentary in the late '90s about the 1995 competition. And I, the, the the documentary is interesting because it's really a human drama about the psychology of trying to win one of these things. Because it's not really about you know just being young and having great stamina. It's about being able to survive eighty to one hundred hours of boredom because that's what you have to do. You, you can wow. every every few hours they were you're allowed to take the, your hand off the truck for five minutes, and then I think twice a day you're given like a fifteen minute eating break. But other than that, you have to have one hand on it at all times and. The documentary really kind of dies. Fifteen minute eating break. I can't eat my three quarts lunch and for in fifteen minutes. Well, you're gonna have to, Sammy, uh, or you're not gonna go home with that truck. But the, the documentary really dove into the the psychological aspect of what it's like to experience this uh, through mainly by interviewing. The, there was a competitor in the documentary who had already won like the two years before. He won the initial one, and then he came back to try and do it again, and. Um, he had all of these like really deep insights into who he thought was going to win and how he thought things were going to going to go down. But uh, was the he right, he was right. He he predicted yeah. that no one under thirty would do well because um, they don't have the ability to. They don't have the psychological framework to handle that level of inactivity and yeah. be inside their own mind. But in any case, um, the person who won that year, he when he won the first year, he held on for like eighty seven hours. Um, the second time, I think it was 77 it's over hours. three days of holding on to a car. Yes. And standing, you're not allowed to lean. So you have to stand and maintain your whole weight. Uh, but the, the longest competition I think went like well over a hundred hours. The crazy thing about this documentary though, is it was adapted into a Broadway musical. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Yeah. They you're made a-, me a car, a, a, a story about a car. I mean, it's rare that we have. Such a such a subject to talk about. People standing on standing with their their hand on a car for seventy to one hundred hours, and now they're going to write. They, they made a musical about. Yeah, it. in twenty twelve. So the the documentary came out in ninety seven, and then in twenty twelve it was adapted uh, to Broadway. It played for three years across the country. Um, the thing is, though, the contest ended in two thousand five because a participant 
dropped out after 48 hours, went across the street, threw a garbage can through the window of a Kmart and found a gun inside and killed themselves. And his family sued the dealership saying that the psychological toll of participating in Hands on a Hard Body had driven him to do this. And ever since then, it was 2005, they haven't done it. They, they, They claimed it was sleep deprivation and brainwashing that pushed him over the edge of mental stability. Um... It's something that, you know, it sounds unreasonable until you watch this documentary and you see what happens to these people who participate in this thing. Yeah, yeah. And no, the doc- I think it, it adds up, man. I don't know. Well, the doc it- isn't a particularly dark thing. Okay. But it gives the context of How about having- the musical? Is the musical fun? The musical is, I mean, the musical is quite different from what okay. I understand. <laughs> the, the musical has a lot of, like, stuff, insights about marriage and the going to war and having a having family in combat and stuff that isn't really discussed in the documentary. But when you have this kind of like dark coda to the documentary by knowing how it ended, it really does lend some of what you see on the screen, a different weight. So I highly recommend it. You can go, I think it's hands on a You can buy it for like $5 and watch online. And I really recommend it because it doesn't seem like it would be entertaining, but it really is. So cool. and and you get kind of like a, a slice of '90s life in terms of fashion and the attitudes of the people who are in small town Texas, just talking about winning this contest. So where you wrote a story about this? Where can we find that again? The story's at Motor Trend, and I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to read it. Very cool. Um, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, I encourage you to head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, where you can read um, and see all of our previous episodes. You can read the show notes. And you can see the links to stuff that we've uh, we've we've worked on. Additionally, you can subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of buttons on the top of the website, or you can get in touch with us. There's a contact form that you fill out, and once you do so, it lands on in our inbox. Very simple. Uh, if you want to get in touch, t- get in touch with us another way. You can um, you can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing, and you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at hunting benjamin or you can just email us the old-fashioned way it's what is it benjamin at benjaminhunting.com you could also go on to pretty much any podcatcher and find us we're on google um, amazon all of the apple ones stitcher Castbox, spotify so just type us in you'll find us there and if you could leave us like a review or just like a comment that's always helpful it, it helps get our name and our podcast in front of more people and helps build up the audience so um Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Are you driving anything at all, or are you just done with driving? I think I've got my hands on the new Hyundai Ioniq, so I'm looking forward to that. The Ioniq or the Ioniq 5? The Ioniq 5, yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to be driving the Ford Maverick, so that'll be interesting. Very cool. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.